0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: More Americans claim to have seen a ghost than have met a trans person. I read that headline in the Huffington Post a few years ago, and it stuck with me. The article compared a 2009 Pew Research Center survey that showed 18% of Americans claim to have seen a ghost and a 2015 GLAD study that found only 16% of Americans say they know someone who identifies as trans. Somehow, it wasn't surprising. Two years later, I'd venture to guess that the number is a little higher. There are trans role models in media, like actress Laverne Cox, activist and writer Janet Mock, and yes, even conservative trans rights advocate Caitlyn Jenner. It's as if somehow, overnight, the trans identity came into view for the cis world. As it so happens, every episode, the podcast tells a different story about living in a marginalized body in America in 2017. This week, we're talking to Elijah, a trans teenager bringing change to his school in Massachusetts. He'll tell us all about the unique challenges of growing up trans, along with a bunch of funny teenager stuff.
2: I'm planning on getting Fall Out Boy lyrics tattooed when I'm older, so I, who knows if I like Fall Out Boy in years from now. I, right now, I would tattoo Patrick Stump's face on my face.
1: Later on, we'll also hear from Elijah's mom. That and more in a moment. I'm Amanda Richards, welcome to the podcast. According to an estimate by the Williams Institute at the UCLA School of Law, one in every 137 American teenagers under the age of 18 identifies as transgender. And you can bet they're all facing their own challenges. What fights are they fighting? What victories are they claiming? And how are they paving the way for the next generation of trans kids? What's it like being a teenager in a body that isn't necessarily like any of your classmates? And what does the support of family and community do to help these teenagers stay visible and thrive? Hi, my name
2: is Elijah. I'm 16 years old. I'm from Massachusetts and I am transgender. I first came out to my parents when I was nine years old as bisexual. And then I came out to them a few years later when I was 13 as transgender. I was 14 years old when I started testosterone.
1: So the reason we wanted to talk to you is because we know that you do a lot of activism in your school. um, And we want to learn a little bit about that and, you know, how you've been able to actually affect change in your school, how it started. Kind of tell us the story of that.
2: So basically, I think my advocacy work starts in middle school when I first came out. I came out half about, I'd say, halfway through eighth grade year, but closer to the end. So my final year of middle school, and I came out as transgender, and it was a pretty big event. I got 100 new Instagram followers from that, so I consider that a big event. So I'm not the most popular kid, mainly because I am very out there, and I also just don't like a lot of people in my school, so... I came out at I came out to my best friends, and what I did is I had them spread rumors about me. I'd have, like, tell your friends, and then have your friends tell their friends, and I have people going around spreading rumors about me being transgender. So that's the way that I came out. And then I confirmed it in an Instagram post, like, a week later. And I feel like that really started the conversation. Rumors aren't the best way to do everything, but it really worked for me. It was actually really amazing, and I'm so glad I did it that way.
1: Like Elijah said, rumors aren't the best way to do things. They can lead to terrible outcomes like bullying and for queer and trans kids, specifically, unwanted outing. Elijah recognizes that. Still, like most teenage kids, he did what felt right to him in the moment, and it worked for him. But it wasn't all easy.
2: I was the first transgender kid at this middle school, and they were good. They were nice. Teachers called me Eli, used he, him pronouns. They would punish kids who were being mean to me. But a big issue was that they didn't let me use any bathrooms. I had to use a single stall bathroom in the nurse's office. And that is so dehumanizing. Just assuming that I'm going to a bathroom just to make people uncomfortable or hurt them. Just, I don't want to do that to anybody. I don't even want to be in a public bathroom. Nobody wants to be in a public bathroom. Nobody likes public bathrooms. I just want to know that I have the right because I'm a human being with bodily functions.
1: This probably isn't the first time you've heard a story about a trans teenager pushing back against their school for restrictive bathroom policies. In 2015, a high schooler named Gavin Grimm sued his school district in Virginia for not allowing him to use the bathroom that aligns with his identity. Elijah's high school has been a little more accommodating. Right away,
2: they showed me all the boys' bathrooms, said you have the right to use the boys' bathroom, but we're also letting you use the single stall bathrooms in the nurse's office in case you ever need them. Um name change right away, gender marker change right away, have an anti-bullying policy set up, they have LGBT training for the staff, and just been an amazing experience. But my high school is pretty large, so we live in Massachusetts, which is a pretty, pretty big, pretty populated state, and I go to a regional high school, so there's a lot of people, and it's a pretty spread out school. And there's only two gender-neutral bathrooms in the entire school. And they are in the nurse's office, which is far away from most of the classrooms.
1: For trans teenagers, so these really kinds of challenges are relatively common. That said, and Elijah's I, I school has been accommodating to some I degree, to down, meaning he can focus on working there, toward to big changes.
2: My latest project is what I'm calling the gender-neutral accommodations project, and I'm trying to implement more gender-neutral bathrooms and just more gender-neutral accommodations in general to the school. But the bathrooms are the biggest component of it. So what I propose is that we keep the female and male student bathrooms, but we change the teacher bathrooms. So one of them is a teacher's unisex bathroom, and the other one is a teacher's, is a student's unisex bathroom. I propose that we did that to every single alcove in the, in all the hallways. And that way, it's right there.
1: Though and Elijah that is that's focusing that's on that's making that's his different school different a better place for so trans kids, he's bathroom. also constantly also thinking about other marginalized groups at his school.
2: Anybody can use the um, the non-gendered bathrooms. I say we keep gendered bathrooms because there are like for religious occasions there are Muslim women who can't be in a bathroom with you know. Men, and that's okay, and we have to respect that. So that's why I say keep the gendered bathrooms. But also introduce gender-neutral
1: bathrooms for people who truly need them. Something I mentioned before is that Elijah's school has been super accommodating and supportive of his efforts. And it's important to mention, that's a luxury many trans kids across the country don't have. It's also important to mention that Elijah's white. Trans kids of color have to deal with discrimination in layers. Um, And he's from a liberal state. His experience in Massachusetts is totally different from from that of a trans kid in conservative America. Um, Of course, it goes beyond school. A key part of a kid's success is the support they get at home. So what does a supportive, loving relationship between a trans parent and their teen look like?
0: Oh, hold on. There's the dog. (laughs) Incidentally, is the favorite child. Yeah. Yeah. She's special.
2: She's the favorite child. For Mother's Day, I got my mom a shirt that said, my kids are good, but my dog is perfect.
1: I've worked What's, a a, time what's the dog's name? Maddie. Maddie. Yeah. Hello, Maddie.
0: She's, She's just very excited because other family members are coming home.
1: But they'll be quiet.
0: Hopefully. They're never quiet. They right? are
2: never quiet. We might have to go out to the car. Go
0: shut your door, please.
2: I said shut my door in the beginning, and you said no. It's too mm, hot in it's here.
0: Little stuffy in here. And it smells like a teenage boy's room, so, you know. Oh, uh, brutal. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I can say hi. I'm Laura. I'm 47 years old. I'm Elijah's mom, and I'm a child care center director.
1: I wanted to like start with like a little bit of an icebreaker, uh, And I just, Laura, can you tell us a little bit, like, can you describe Elijah to us in a way that maybe he wouldn't describe himself?
0: I can absolutely describe Elijah in ways that he wouldn't, because I feel that he's very confident and he's very self-assured. He's very driven and he cares deeply about other people. I doubt that he would actually recognize any of that in his own, his own self.
2: I am very driven. My mom keeps on asking if I've applied to college yet without her knowledge. Stop
0: talking. (laughs) I love you. So ways that I would describe him that he wouldn't necessarily describe. Smart. He doesn't Mm -hmm. think he's smart and he's actually really beautifully intellectual with a great brain.
1: And uh, yeah. It's interesting that you say that because that's not like all the things that you're saying about him is the way that I perceive him Mm -hmm. talking to you. And it's, it's interesting that if he doesn't really, if Elijah, if you don't really think that, then you're making kind of a, you're you're performing all these things that are actually true about you very well, even though you don't think that about yourself. Well, I, I hope that he does think it a little bit. So Laura, what is it with all of that in mind? What is the cool, what is the coolest part? If you can choose just one cool part, what is the coolest part about being Elijah's mom?
0: The coolest part is that I get to watch my child do his part in changing the world. I mean, as a mom, you always think I'm going to have a child and I hope my child is this, 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 this. But uh, only a few of us get to say that my child is really a trailblazer. So that's
1: kind of neat. How is Elijah changing the world? Elijah, stop talking.
0: Elijah is (laughs) bringing awareness uh to what it means to be not only a transgender person but what that means in terms of the political landscape of hu- human rights and dignity and respect and he's bringing you know he's just not going out there saying I'm a trans kid and being trans is so super cool no he's out there saying I am a trans person and I deserve rights and this is how I'm going to go about ensuring rights for myself and others
1: and I mean, we're talking about someone who is just yesterday 16 years old and having all these experiences and all of these thoughts about the world with less than two decades under his belt. But see, um, he has
0: never been young. is a very old soul and has been since day one. So yeah. in many ways, he's wise beyond his years. And in many ways, he's just a teenage asshat sometimes. So the fine balance is um, often rocky would you say?
1: Uh, Teenage asshat. I like that. That's really good. Um, You said he was an old soul since day one. Can you can you tell us a little bit about how he showed himself to be an old soul at a young age?
0: Well, I just think he was always just self-possessed and aware in a way that other children and I, I being a child development specialist, you know, they always say don't compare children that's a big lie, because I have a, an entire career's worth of children to draw upon. And Eli just sort of kind of got it in an intellectual way from a very early age. I think that's what helped him. You know, by the time he was 18 years old, he, 18 months old, he was showing me transgender behavior. And I had various different ways of, of completely denying it because uh, I just didn't realize that that's what was happening.
1: What kind of transgender behavior?
0: Oh my gosh, you know, pulling barrettes out of his hair, it it was a longstanding problem that um, I could never comb his hair, let alone braid his hair, let alone put in a scrunchie or a barrette or anything. So I kept throwing my money away and buying every little bit of the accessories and he would just throw them away as if by instinct, he was saying to me, boys don't wear barrettes and ponytails. Then when he got to it, he, you know, by two years old, he was just taking off his clothes all the time, going into his brother's room and grabbing basketball shorts and a t-shirt a graphic tee or something like that. And I just kind of thought, you know, starting at age two, he had this really funky sense of style. So I'm like, all right, that's cool. That's cool. My little girl likes to wear boys clothes. (laughs) I mean, I look back on it all now and it's all very, you know, why didn't I connect the dots sooner? But I always had a very, uh, a very gendered excuse when he would ask me a question and I would say, well, because you're a little girl and that's what little girls do. You know, when he was five years old and asked me why he looked like a girl one time, I said, because you're pretty and you're wearing makeup.
2: It was backstage at my dance recital.
0: Yeah. The
2: one time I did dance. Yes.
0: Every little girl was so excited to be in that much stage makeup and tutus and sequins for miles. And they all just couldn't. Stop looking at themselves in the mirror, and then when you get to my child, he was just staring in the mirror and said, "Why do I look like a girl?" And I said, "Well, because you're wearing makeup."
2: Oh, I don't hate stage makeup. I do theater. I'm used to stage makeup. I hate like the whole entire feminizing makeup
0: stuff. Well, mm -hmm, fine. Well, later that same year, he was at a birthday party, and the mother called me because she was just really confounded and didn't know what to do with my child because it was six little girls. And she had taken days before to hand sew princess dresses for everybody. And Eli refused to put it on. Like the other kids couldn't get into the princess dresses fast enough. And finally, this mother called me and said, I mean, he's just crying. What should I do? And I said, well, don't put the dress on. him, You know, so and then again, I thought, you know, strike one for feminism when really it was just that my little boy just didn't want to wear a princess dress.
1: So you said that, you know, obviously in hindsight, it's easy to connect the dots, but yes. when, when did you put it together at the time? Like at what point so, was it not that your little girl was dressing like a boy? When did you move beyond that?
0: Well, I moved beyond it, but I kind of took a a left when I should have taken, well, no, I should have, I took a, a sharper left when I should have taken a left. Um, I just assumed incorrectly that I had an ultra, um, butch, feminist, lesbian. And I went down that path. But I didn't Mm. just go down that path. I ran down that path. I outfitted my house in rainbows. I kept buying books about, you know, it's okay to be gay. And this was really confusing my child who was neither a girl nor a lesbian. And finally, I started to think around 10 years old or 11 years old, we were in the car once. And I once asked him, do you feel like a boy? And he said no, which was totally fine, because I think the question shocked him to his very core because he was trying to figure it out. So he said no. And I thought, well, phew, that's, you know, much easier. So, you know, we'll just keep going down the gay path. And then um, finally, around 11 years old, when um, he started developing hips and curves in places where, you know, his world was shattering. And I could tell that there was something so profoundly wrong with my child. And I still didn't get it. You know, like in the comic books at that point, somebody would have hit me over the head with an anvil that said gender, but that doesn't <laughs> happen in real life. So it just took us a few more years for for him to tell me, because then when he finally figured it out around age 11... Um, I
2: figured it out more around 13.
0: So, but it took him... Few months to tell me. Yeah. Because all the messages he got from media was don't tell your mom, she'll kick you out of the house.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then when he did tell you, was it hard for you?
0: So, um, yeah, it was absolutely. It was hard for me because I'm... I wasn't looking for gender at all. I was strictly focused on sexuality, which of course I've learned now don't even live in the same you know, portion of a diagram, it's two totally different things. So the hardest part for me was thinking immediately that I didn't have a daughter anymore. So that was something that was uh, for me to deal with privately, because my focus at that point was to help Eli transition. Because um, again, the minute I heard the word transgender, my husband and I both, you know, spent the next two to three weeks, probably in a constant research mode of finding and reading and absorbing every little bit of literature we could get, you know, making phone calls, getting into appointments with specialists, and just finding out, well, what do we need to do? So it was never a question of, are you sure? Because he was pretty emphatic when he told us. And it was never a, well, no, we can't do this. It was an immediate hit the ground running. And what can we do? because the two years prior to him telling us were just nothing wow. short of a mental health black hole that Eli was traveling down and we just were so powerless to pull him out of it even though we took him to therapy every week we took him to doctors we tried medications until he voiced what was going on uh we didn't have the right structure in place for him so we just went at it you know I'm not even like those first few months even are just a blur. Um, Within two months, we found ourselves or six weeks. We, you know, showed up at a convention for transgender families. And um,
2: it was like
0: it was two months. And yeah, and it was amazing because the parents we were sitting around and telling our stories and I, they got to me and I said, I don't have a story. I'm here to absorb other people's stories because we're just starting to write ours. And I don't know what to do. And I don't know what to say. And I don't know how to um, make this completely perfect and neat and tied up in a bow in five minutes for my child, because that's just not the way it is. It's a lot messier than that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we understood pretty, pretty quick that transition was the only thing that was going to save this child's life. So
1: and and then as far as, I mean, what came next? I know, Elijah, you were very young when you had mm-hmm. um, top surgery. So as a mom, that's got to be really scary. It's like a major surgery. So, Not really. I've so, had surgery before.
0: So both of my children had the whole uh, tonsillectomy, adenoidectomy at a very young age. They were both four.
2: No, I was eight. You always make this mistake.
0: Remember? Okay. Well, you know, I'm old. And mm. then they both <laughs> um, have a genetic thyroid condition from my husband's side of the family. And when they were 10, they had their thyroids removed. So surgery in and itself was kind of a no biggie. The fact that it was, um, gender re- con- gender affirming surgery was, was pretty major. And, uh, I thought to go it alone because we have another child who became the invisible child during Eli's transition. So I said to my husband, I said, you know what, let me take Eli. You stay home with Joshua and have business as usual and this should be no big deal until Eli was you know recovering from surgery and I was kind of by myself thinking wow this is a much bigger deal than I thought and it would have been nice to have some support around me but it was fine Eli was actually a good support
2: I was just kind of sitting there eating they told me I wouldn't be hungry after surgery and I proceeded to eat three meals
1: nothing stops this child from eating did you um how long does it how long is recovery for that Uh, For Eli, about five minutes.
0: It was pretty much... um,
2: Physically, I wasn't allowed to go back to school for two weeks.
0: Right. It was a two-week recovery, but Eli never once complained about pain. Never once... I mean, it was so miraculous to me that the same child who got an injury on a head of lettuce at work last (laughs) week and had to wear a Band-Aid for a week... I was bleeding. Okay.
2: And I was wearing the Band-Aid for like two hours.
0: Okay. So before then, Eli, I wouldn't say no, I would say would complain about, you know, minor health things and to never complain about pain or discomfort after top surgery, um, made it all that more solidified in my head that that was the exact right thing to do at the time.
1: Absolutely. I, I'd like to just touch on the head of lettuce situation quickly. <laughs>
0: it, it was the wrapping. It was wrapped really weirdly.
1: Oh, okay. That's what it means. So did it like fly out at you and hit you in your face? Yeah.
2: Uh, no, on my finger.
1: And I had two other paper cuts today. I'm yes, he comes them. home from the wilds of Wegmans a little bit injured every
0: day, but it's kind of funny.
1: I mean, yeah, it's it's a, it's a rough terrain inside that grocery store, apparently. Exactly. Have you been to
0: a Wegmans? They are gigantic.
1: Oh, We could talk talk about Wegmans. I love Wegmans. They're only in certain parts of the country, and I love certain things that they sell there that they only sell there, and I love them. (laughs) I'm jealous that you work there, actually. There's
2: one right in my town.
1: Wow. Right. So lettuce,
0: major like, oh, my gosh, I have a lettuce injury. Having breasts removed. All right, let's just go out for dinner.
1: That's exactly.
0: (laughs) Pretty much exactly how it went.
1: Oh, my gosh. And, you know, I have trans friends who I've talked to about this episode. And the one thing that they all said was that people say, oh, if you're you're going to be trans, that you should just, you know, you should just be trans and you, you should be who you are and just go for it. But what people don't talk about is that for your parents and your close family, even if they're like you and they're really supportive, it becomes difficult to tell other people, like extended family or colleagues or neighbors. Um, and I just... Yeah.
0: I, yeah, that's really interesting because when we decided that Eli at the time was 13 years old and wasn't going to come out on his own, we, he, he was happy to do it, but I instead took the approach that we were a transgender family and that we were going to come out as a family and that it wasn't, you know, a Facebook announcement like, oh, I had Chinese tonight. Mm -hmm. So what we did was everybody that was a local and part of our, you know, inner circle, we wanted to tell in person face to face. So we did that. Then those that I couldn't tell in person, but really, um, I needed to tell at least by phone, you know, my college roommate in LA. So I called her and I called, um, It was, it was a a long process and you find out, you know, it's really fun when your best friend says, all right, give me part of the list and I'm coming out for you. So that was really good because then a lot of our friends here in our town, um, my best friend did take a few names and she's like, I just need to give you a break because it's been not overwhelming.
2: Just a lot of work.
0: Right. It's just a lot of questions from people saying things and we were still so new at this Mm -hmm. that um, some of people would ask us questions and it was kind of like, well, I don't know, but I'll get back to you. Um, so then some of my cousins took, it was, it was really funny. Like I had some delegates that were helping me with the process, but then when we finally felt like everybody that needed a personal phone call got that, um, then we went live on all forms of social media.
2: They actually, they have a blog and they wrote a blog post and then they posted that everywhere.
0: Yeah, we do have a blog post. Called... But you
2: never use your blog. I use my blog because no. I'm, I'm, I'm professional. I mean,
0: I want to use my blog more, but.
1: Eli, when you say they, you mean your parents? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they run a blog. Yeah,
2: transparent.com. No, it's called not opaque.com because they're right. transparent.
1: I'm sorry, not opaque,
0: all one word, dot .com.
2: Because they're not transparent. <laughs> they transparent. My so husband has opaque. a
0: PhD in optics. So the minute there was transparency going on, he found a neat little optics way of saying that we're not opaque. We're transparent.
1: I, I like that. That's clever. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was Josh's plan.
0: And you know, what's a really interesting question that I get a lot that kind of always gives me pause every time people say to me, almost with pity in their voice, they say, how's your husband? I'm <laughs> like, what, what? what we're completely on the same page we're completely doing this together and why do people feel bad for him but then just assume that i'm going to just do everything it hasn't been that way at all our experience has been bad has
2: done so much of it
0: yeah and he's done the whole legal part
2: our relationship is a lot better since i transitioned because like I don't, I
0: don't
1: you weren't know. a very happy girl those last few years. No. Do you think? Do you think it's because people assume that somehow the father will be more damaged yeah. by this yes. masculinity being his idea of a masculinity being destroyed?
0: Yeah, but that's so not who my husband is, which is probably why we are celebrating our twentieth anniversary in the fall. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I needed a, a partner in life. I didn't need a a man to rule me. So it's mm-hmm. always been a very Equal relationship. So when people say, how is he? I think, hmm.
2: He's probably just like doing he, some math.
0: And, right and the now. interesting thing for him is that he sees, um, have you shared your birth name?
2: Uh, Wait, did I ever tell you guys my birth name?
0: No. It's one letter off. Mm-hmm. So uh, can, can I say it?
2: I'd prefer not on the.
0: Okay, that's fine. Yeah. So Don sees the continuum from girl to boy in Eli's journey as just a metamorphosis, the same person. He
2: wants to name me and my brother A and B.
0: But he just feels, you know, as a as a as a female presenting child, uh, that she gobbled up a bunch of food, got nice and fat, spun a cocoon, and then emerged as this beautiful butterfly. It's Eli. more
2: like after I came out of the cocoon, I got fat.
0: But wait a minute. Whereas <laughs> me, so my husband sees this very um, fluid. Uh, Continuum. I saw a complete end of one child and a beginning of another. So to to me, that ending of one child created a sense of grief, loss, and mourning, um, and then a rebirth of a second child. So in many ways, I do feel like I've had three children in my life, and Four. one well, the dog. Well, the there. dog, but <laughs> my daughter's no longer with me. So people can take that how they want. I don't. I have pictures of my daughter around the house. And uh, I imagine that in years to come that people that don't know our story right off the bat will say, who's that? And I'll just say that was my daughter. But my husband doesn't have um, a sense of two
1: different people. He just sees
0: Eli as a continuum.
1: Elijah, um, so you, in our previous conversation, you talked a lot about you know never feeling like a girl that you just had this sort of sense about yourself that you couldn't really define um then but now obviously you you know um what you were what what your brain was kind of trying to tell you even though you didn't have the language for it and i wonder like is it hard for you to hear your mom say that she lost a child and then you know, that there's this, like, child that she lost? Is is that—is that—is it hard or weird for you to hear that? That might be the first time he's ever heard
2: that. No, it's not. Dad told me a while ago. Oh,
0: fantastic.
2: It's hard to hear at first, but, like, I've—I'm way past that now.
0: Mm Mm-hmm.
2: The only—I won't let people show pictures of me in middle school, but, like, I show pictures of me before middle school all the time. Mm Mm-hmm. Middle school is just—I prefer to pretend that middle school never happened, but I feel like that goes for a lot of people who aren't trans. We just don't like—we just— no one wants to remember that middle school happened. We don't want to remember I mean, like, our stupid faces and stuff.
1: No, I mean, I have gone out of my way to destroy those photos. Exactly. I mean. <laughs> oh, that's just a normal thing. <laughs> yeah, totally. But I wonder, like, is it something that you feel, like, sympathetic to? I guess is my question. Do you feel sympathetic that your mom feels that way? I mean, I don't feel bad that I
2: transitioned. I feel, like, bad that she feels like she lost a kid. I'm, I'm the same person.
1: Laura, you know, Elijah's doing all this amazing stuff at his school and in his community. And, you know, how are you involved in that? How do you support that? Like, what's your role in all of that? So
0: my role is actually um, proud mother because he is such a, a driven kid that ironically, the only thing I have to do is really drive him to
1: things. I don't know about you, but I definitely remember the days of my mom complaining about being a chauffeur. That at this point. In that respect, and so many others, Elijah's relationship with his mom is typical. In other ways, not so much. We make dick jokes every day. We do. Well, let me just stop you right there because that's actually something – the last thing I want to go back to is – Elisha told us a story uh, the other day uh, about something that was being sent to him in the mail. Mm -hmm. And I want you to tell me the story again together. Oh, Elisha, do you know what I'm talking about? I made
0: my own hashtag, moms who buy dicks. (laughs) So there's certain things that you just learn (laughs) – Eli and I have a very, no, no, no. I create the boundaries because I'm still your parent. However, there's certain things that we have to be really open and honest about because there's things Eli needs for his, his self-esteem for his, you know, as much as a mother wants to stick her head in the sand and think, well, my child is not becoming a sexual being. He is, and he needs parts that he doesn't have. So I'm not going to leave him, you know, to his own devices for that. And I'm going to help him through it. So a couple of years ago, we brought up, we bought a prosthetic, um, packer is what it's called. So he can feel the sensation of having his underwear nice and full, but it's a very, very plain sort of hanging there packer. So now he wants one that's a little bit more happy on a regular basis so
2: we're getting that one soon, but it keeps on selling out because every single trans guy wants it. Yeah. They sell out in like a few hours.
0: Being a trans parent um, is not for the faint of heart. Cause there's conversations that may make you feel uncomfortable, but there's conversations with my cisgendered son that I, you know, that you just have to have. I mean, if you're a thoughtful parent, you have to have conversations that take you out of your comfort zone. So, You know, some parents buy training bras. I buy prosthetic penises. Does
1: this does this conversation make either of you at all uncomfortable in any way?
0: Not anymore. I mean, when he first wanted a packer, I I simply said, well, what's that? I didn't know. And then in the beginning, he would misplace it and he would yell downstairs. Have you seen my dick? And then my other son would yell, I don't lose mine. It's attached to you. And I would just sit there and I think, you know, every parent has a story. Mine just has some really interesting things in it. So further, further, <laughs> furthering my desire to want to really write down my story.
2: I'm really bad at lo- like remembering where it is. Like I lose my glasses, and we I we bought them.
0: a box that we affectionately named the Phallus Palace, so we thought he could just. keep <laughs> it.
2: That was mine, by because the way. Because
0: I would go down, it would be in the laundry. It would be on top of the. The dryer in the clean laundry. One time,
2: I lost it in my backpack for like three months, and every day I didn't realize I was bringing a dick to school in my backpack. Oh
0: so, and and it's very realistic, and it has a a very um realistic feel and look. And I'd be like, "Oh my god, there's severed penises <laughs> laying around my house." So, then, but then I I will put the boundaries up in that you know he can't really ask me questions about my sex life because i am I don't want to so there are boundaries but then there's some places when you're a transparent if you if you want your child to live a full and happy life you push yourself beyond what's comfortable and just do it
1: having spoken with elijah over the past few weeks it's clear that he's an extraordinary kid with an extraordinary support system, doing extraordinary things. Still, he struggles, and that's where his family, friends, school, and community help lighten the load. In less accepting circles, a lack of support and understanding can be just as hard as transitioning and dealing with gender dysphoria. Trans kids without supportive families and schools are often left to navigate complex situations by themselves. Elijah's story is one of many, but for anyone fighting for trans equality, it's a positive reminder of what happens when trans bodies aren't just visible, but accepted and accommodated. I want to thank Elijah and Laura for sharing their story and being amazing. I also want to thank Anna Parsons, our producer, and Pierre Bienname, our producer and co editor. Join us in two weeks when we'll hear from fat acceptance activists on what it means to transform your body to fit society's standards, only to realize you never actually wanted to in the first place.